It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Most of us are watching from our couches this season, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football. Watching. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with my co-host, James Rapine. Today, we've got a packed show for you, including our favorite segment of the week, the weekly mailbag. We're also going to take a look ahead at the trade deadline. Yesterday, we took a look at the trade value for certain Bengals players. We get a little bit of a clearer picture on that, by the way, today. And today, instead of looking at players the Bengals might trade, James has some ideas for some players the Bengals might be interested in trading for, or at least he is interested in the Bengals trading for. We'll get into those ideas in segment two of the show. We're going to get started, though, with Quentin Spain. He was reported on Sunday to be visiting the Bengals, and we haven't really heard a whole lot more since then. But in the COVID era, a visit is almost as good as a signing, and we expect to see Quentin Spain joining the Bengals in the near future. The former Buffalo Bills and Tennessee Titans left guard Then we're going to talk a little bit about the Everson Griffin trade and how that dictates what the market may or may not be for the Bengals if they try to trade Carlos Dunlap. We're going to get started there before we move into exploring trades from other teams and your mailbag questions later on in the episode. James, let's get started with Quinton Spain, the left guard. At least that's where he played before coming to Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, that's where the only remaining opening day starter Michael Jordan continues to play, and I would expect him to maintain that position as he actually had a pretty nice game on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. But let's talk a little bit about what Spain might bring to this team, a team that badly needed guard help, still needs guard help, at the very least needs guard depth as they've lost now many offensive linemen, four of their five opening day starters after a rough week seven for injuries. Quentin Spain was released by the Bills a few weeks ago. He played for the Tennessee Titans before that. According to Brandon Thorne, the offensive line expert that we had on the Lockdown Bengals podcast in the preseason, this is a guy that is in the tier four of guards in the NFL, where the Bengals guards coming into the season were tiers six and five, respectively. So this could represent an upgrade and some stabilization, especially in pass blocking. And that's the key. Because you look at a Michael Jordan, and he certainly flashed at times, particularly in the run game. Alex Redman is a guy not afraid to be physical, right? But you can't have him whiff in pass protection. That's going to be so crucial 
now, especially on the interior, given Jonah Williams, who knows how long he's going to be out. We think it might just be for a game, but we don't know that yet. And so fingers crossed that that is the case. And then on the other side, we still don't know the severity of Bobby Hart's knee injury. And if if that's a a significant injury, a long-term injury, I get it. Bobby Hart takes a lot of flack, but you're downgrading at that spot. Whoever they put in is not going to be as good as Bobby Hart. And so what do you need to do? Well, hopefully you can upgrade on the interior there. And, And what Spain represents for me, Jake, I do think there is a chance that he is an upgrade, but you're talking about an undrafted player that's overachieved. And I like it for two reasons. One, Spain has a lot to prove, and he can inject some life into a team that is one five and one, potentially one six and one when he gets out there. Who knows when he's able to play? And, and that could be good because now Alex Redmond's fighting harder. Xavier Suofilo, as he comes back from that foot injury, is playing harder. Michael Jordan, et cetera, because this is a proven guy who's made 66 starts in the NFL. He's done a lot, and, and he has a lot to prove. And then the, the second thing, Look, Joe Burrow's taken a ton of hits. What does Spain signify here? It shows that the Bengals know they need to get better. I get it's something small, and it might not work out, but it's really hard to upgrade the offensive line midseason. And when that guy got released, every Bengals fan was like, that saw that was like, man, that'd be a nice guy to have. And the fact that the Bengals clearly were proactive and reached out, and are trying to get this guy and look like they are going to get this guy. I think it does show, one, the fan base, hey, we are going to try. It might not be the trade that we we talk about or want, but we are going to try. And two, if you're Joe Burrow, yeah, I'm getting my head kicked in, but they are trying to back me up and trying to improve it in the trenches. So I think those are two good things. Quentin Spain is a really large football player that fits what the Bengals like to do at guard, like to do schematically, especially in the run game, I think. But interestingly, as I mentioned, historically a better pass blocker than a run blocker. Going back to 2016, though, with the Titans in his best year, he was a top five, top six guard in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. And what's going to be really interesting to me is if they ask him to move to right guard. Moving on from Quentin Spain for a moment. Everson Griffin was traded from the Dallas Cowboys to the Minnesota Vikings today for a sixth round pick that could turn into a fifth round pick depending on whether he meets certain conditions for his new club in Detroit, that, for me, sets a ceiling on what the Bengals can expect in compensation for Carlos Dunlap. Everson Griffin hasn't played very well this season, but I think if you're looking at the market for veteran defensive ends that maybe have some upside, maybe don't, I think that that is the kind of market you're looking for if the Bengals are trying to deal Dunlap. And the thing I worry about with a potential Dunlap trade is the Bengals' pride getting in the way because he's meant so much to the organization. He's one sack away from tying or being the Bengals' all-time sack leader. I, I can't have that. You can't worry about that because he has been a model citizen. And that's the crazy part is the past year and a half or so, something's changed. And clearly it's the coaching staff and you have an aging defensive end who's causing problems. So you probably would have asked for a three or a four. Six months ago, if you were going to trade Dunlap, you're clearly not getting that now. And my concern, Jake, and I think a lot of people's is that this front office is going to overvalue him and demand a four and think a four is almost too low. That is not going to happen. You're not coming close to that. So if you get your sixth and maybe there is a a conditional fifth or like we talked about uh, on yesterday's show, maybe a pick swap or something like that, 
take it and run. You got to get something for him because I don't want to set a bad precedent that you can act out and get released and be able to pick your next destination. But you're not going to get nearly what you would have gotten four or five months ago. Acknowledge it, admit it, and move on. I hope the Bengals can certainly do that. Up next on the Locked on Bengals podcast, we're going to continue our trade deadline discussion, which is something it's in my wheelhouse. Jake might get a little uncomfortable. He might disagree, but there's a couple veterans that I think the Bengals should at least inquire about. We'll talk about those next right here on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Speaking of inquiring, if you're having any kind of vehicle issues, you should inquire about them at rockauto.com because I'm sure Rock Auto has the solution. They have car parts for over 300 different car maker. So whether you drive a Daewoo or an Audi or Mercedes-Benz, Honda, Toyota, they have the part you're looking for. I've used them. You should too. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've served auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go there right now. See all the parts they have from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, their prices are always reliably low and the same for professionals as do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's keep things rolling. We're going to get to your mailbag questions coming up in just a bit. But Jake, as much as I love the mailbag, I'm excited for this segment because we get to talk about the trade deadline and We've done a lot of talking, as has the really the entire Bengals community over the past couple of weeks of what the Bengals should do before the deadline. And it's a lot of selling, right? Selling these veterans. We just talked about Dunlap. What about buying? I have a couple names that I want to throw at you and discuss with you. Veterans that I think can help this team. And I get it. The Bengals are one, five and one, but help this team in 2021 and beyond and, and really kind of lay a foundation for the future of this Bengals team. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. We we can talk about it. I want to just say one thing before we do. I'm not uncomfortable with this conversation, which I think, you know, probably just you picked the wrong word as you were talking and, and recording the teaser for the segment. It's just we, by which I mean, Joe and I, when we did this show last year, you know, we, we didn't even talk about this stuff because, you know, we would get questions like, who should the Bengals trade for? And we should have just been like, hey, James, we should have sent you a direct message. Who should the Bengals trade for? Because this isn't stuff we think about because the Bengals so infrequently make these sorts of moves. But I'm excited to hear your ideas. And you're right. It is infrequent. But I think that there is a at least a chance they do something because we have seen them do things that they haven't done in the past in, in free agency back in March. And so we saw them address the dress defensive tackle. They went out and got Mike Daniels right after they had some injuries. They didn't sign a bottom of the barrel type guy. It was a decent veteran who's established in this league, maybe Quentin Spain, if they can get that deal done. So I'll throw this out to you. 
It's a guy who I, oddly enough, I mentioned to you probably about five or six weeks ago when there was some rumbling that he wanted a new contract. And it, it's so funny that it's, it's gone down this path. He's having a bad year this year. Zach Ertz is reportedly on the block. The Philadelphia Eagles obviously have Dallas Goddard. Ertz is, he's got two more years left on his deal, but there's a potential out after this year. Uh, a cap hit of, of $12 million this year. And, and next year, same thing, around $12 million. His base salary is uh, at $8 million. Um, so at, at one point or another, he had restructured the deal. But my point being, Zach Ertz is a guy that I think when I look at this offense and I look at Joe Burrow and what he's able to do, huh, a 29-year-old Zach Ertz, can he be a pretty good receiver for the next three to four years in this offense that includes T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and whatever receiver they draft? And again, I don't expect Green to be here for the next four years. Who knows? Maybe that changes. I think so. So if I'm the Bengals, I'm calling and I'm seeing what the Eagles want because that one, he's he's dealing with an injury right now. Two, maybe it is reasonable, and they're just really trying to unload that contract and get rid of it without having to deal with you know releasing him this offseason with you know an eight million dollar cap hit. So I think we're on different pages on Zach Ertz for a couple of reasons. One is he's not playing very well this year. Yeah, he's dealing with an injury, but that is part of the risk when you start to get into that age range the likelihood of fall off increases significantly over the next few years. And it's not exactly clear how many years are on his deal. It looks like he's actually only under contract for one more year. And so that would mean that they get him for a year. And then what do you give up for that? I mean, then you have to talk about an extension, which is the same scenario the Eagles are in. He definitely wants a significant payday. I'm not interested in giving him a big payday on the other side of 30 and a guy that's already showing declining play and has been for the last couple of years. If you want to talk about a tight end that I think could be interesting, well, one is Evan Ingram, whose name has shown up on the trade market. And I don't know what sort of compensation would be involved there. But the other, a follower suggested to me, actually, and that's Gerald Everett. This is a guy that Zach Taylor would know from his time with the Los Angeles Rams. It's a guy that he's really a move tight end. He's not a guy that you're going to put in line very often, but he is in the last year of his rookie deal, which I think would make his trade value really strange because the team receiving him would have to deal with extending him after the year. And if he wants to hit free agency, he could. He is seeing a little bit less use. Well, until uh, last night against Chicago, he was seeing a little bit less use this season for the Rams, so I wasn't sure necessarily if he was in their future plans with Tyler Higby out in L.A. Maybe he's in their plans, maybe he's not. I'm not sure if he's available, but that's a guy that I would ask for. If I'm looking for a tight end, I'm looking for a guy coming off his rookie deal. Gerald Everett is 26, a guy that you would have to extend probably through his age 30 season, and then you've got a guy that has some receiving skills at the tight end position. I'm floored right now. I mean, yeah, Everett is fine sure he's fine and he knows zach taylor and that's okay but i mean the the best thing he's from a production standpoint it's not close and i get it Ertz is dealing with an injury this year but up until this season i guess there's been a decline like you say i don't really see it i mean he's had at least 900 yards or 800 yards in five straight years going into this year had 916 yards and 88 receptions last year i i, I look at that and i'm like 
okay, him, Higgins, Boyd. Now, who knows what he wants, and it would come with an extension, but that doesn't mean it's a five-year extension like it was back in 2016. That could be you know, twenty a two-year extension. So you, you got him for 21, 22, 23, plus the rest of this season. I don't think it would have to be anything insane. Uh, and so it really does. It comes down to trade compensation. But what would you give for Ertz and then what would you give for Everett? I mean, if Everett's a, a, a day three, a late day three pick, fine. But I don't know if Ertz is fit, you know, get, getting a, a second or a third rounder, given that he's coming off of an injury and given that you are going to have to pay him. Yeah, I'm not interested in really paying any sort of draft compensation for Zach Ertz, the contract that he brings with him and the contract extension that would be required to keep him. He absolutely wants big money, and that's not a position where currently I think the Bengals should be dedicating a lot of resources. And if we're talking about both draft pick compensation and big money, less interested and, and I don't know if Gerald Everett would be remotely available. I, I'm kind of skeptical that he would be, but I think that he hypothetically to me, because of his less track record to me, bigger upside, he's four years younger, nearly there's uh, less compensation involved and, and a chance that you get what your team is actually looking for in terms of a receiving threat at tight end. So I don't, I mean, yeah, I know Zach Hurst has had a fantastic career. I'm just not interested at this point for what it would take to get him. Man, man, I, I have I have one because this is interesting because we had this debate. I feel like I'm, you know, it's four months ago and we're talking about AJ Green. Would you give up AJ Green for Zachary straight up? It just doesn't really do much, right? So I guess you get AJ's salary off the books this year. You save a little bit of cap money that rolls into next season. You probably lose a little bit of production. In the, in the short term, maybe you get a little bit of production next year. I just don't see that as a very productive trade for either team, really. Like, maybe it pushes Philly a little bit over the hump this year. They need receiver help, clearly. But they'd be taking their best receiver away and replacing him with A.J. Green in, in the current year. And that that's probably a bit of an upgrade, especially if Dallas Goddard gets back for them. But they love playing with two tight ends on the field. I don't know that that's just such an out there trade idea that I don't, I, I can't even process it. My my initial reaction is to say that I, I still don't want to give anything up for Zach Ertz. Man, Zach Ertz. All right. Well, no wonder I got him so late in our fantasy draft. You were low on him. I mean, you were low on him, Jake. That's why I get it. It's, it's just, I mean, it's a common thing for me, right? Like if you're, if yeah. you're on the wrong side of 30, I don't really want to give you a deal in the current, like unless you're a quarterback or Andrew Whitworth, like I don't really want to give you a long-term three, four year deal, whatever it is. It's just, there's, there's such a huge risk of, of that contract turning into an albatross. Look at all the players over 30 on the Bengals this year. I mean, AJ green has started to come on. That's great. But the rest of them, nothing. Can I give you another guy that is on the, the wrong side of 30? In fact, he is 30 a guy that fans will be on my side about just because they like what they know, uh, a, a, someone that they, they could uh, potentially target here at the trade deadline or flip it, could be available here in the next week. I thought that was a rhetorical question. Yes, go on. <laughs> I'm waiting for answers, Jake. I'm waiting for answers. Kevin Zeitler, a guy we talked about a little bit a few weeks ago. 
you know, we know the nine-year veteran, former first-rounder of the Bengals, signed with Cleveland, got traded to the Giants. He's 30 years old, has one year left on his deal. This year, he's making a $10 million base salary, $2.5 million in bonuses. So comes with a $12.5 million cap hit. Next year, set to make $12 million in base salary, a $14.5 million cap hit. Is Kevin Zeitler a guy? Obviously, he's a good player. He's established. Would you trade for him and that bad contract? And it does look like a bad contract at this point and be willing to sign him to an extension maybe through the rest of Joe Burrow's rookie deal. So you, you maybe 21 is his final year of that contract. Let's say you give up a pick for him. You extend him through the 2023 season, maybe this offseason to, to keep him around for the foreseeable future. This is kind of the problem with with Kevin Zeitler. You just you just outlined it. I'm not interested in extending Zeitler, but I am interested in his contract. If the Bengals pick him up, that cap hit goes down because the Giants eat the rest of the signing bonus. That's already money paid. It's prorated over the life of the contract. It wouldn't follow Zeitler to his new team. So the Bengals, if they were to acquire reacquire Zeitler, they would be on the hook for ten million this year and twelve million next year, which isn't great. But for a guy who's been a good guard in this league for a very long time. He's having a bit of a down year this year, but is a guy that I think, and I haven't watched him. I'd have to go see why exactly he's struggling or see what shows up on tape. But for a guy that I think could be good for the rest of this year and next year, I would be interested. And so what do you give up for a guy that you only plan to keep for two years if he's going to hold down your guard position, which would be the expectation because they need help. And he would slide right in at right guard and he would be a perfect fit, I think in that regard. So what do you give up for him? That would be my question. And and how much would it be that it would be worth giving up that much compensation in terms of draft picks for just two years of right guard play? Would you give up a five? I'll just yes. run through. Would you give up a four? Yes. Three. I think that I think that four maybe three with a pick swap. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to yeah. go much higher because I think the Bengals will be picking high this year. And I think that at the top of round three, you can probably spend that pick on a guard who would relatively quickly be able to provide you what Kevin Zeitler at this point in his career is giving you. I wouldn't be shocked if they could get him for a five, which would obviously be a high five, right? I I wouldn't because of that money. And if you're the Giants, why not unload it if you can? I mean, you're clearly, we talk about the Bengals being far away. I think the Giants, I mean, they're in an awful division and they can't win. So it's uh, it's one of those things that they have a, a ways to go. I think a five might get it done. It really might. Now, on the flip side, and here's the problem with any of these deals, the Bengals, uh, obviously, we know how they operate in general, but there's uncertainty with the, the cat next year. and You don't know what it's going to be. And, and so that's they can use that to their advantage if they're willing to play ball, because a lot of these teams aren't going to be willing to take on a contract like Zeitler's. But. The Bengals could do it. So a five sounds outrageous. I know it sounds crazy, but I think you could get value because of all the uncertainty and really the lack of a market because of the contract, not the player. It's going to be a really interesting trade deadline. We're seeing today, Everson Griffin traded on Tuesday. He won't be available until week nine for the Detroit Lions. They have a bye week somewhere in there, but it just kind of tells you that you might see some trades earlier than the deadline this year as teams have to get these players through COVID protocol. So going to be a very interesting week to watch for trades. Coming up next, 
We take your questions in the weekly mailbag on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Shout out to Ronnie Swango. He messaged us on Twitter, got his Built Bars in the mail. Look, we talk about them all the time here on Locked On Bengals because Built Bars are the number one protein bar on the planet. Ronnie's favorite, coconut almond. They have 18 amazing flavors. So whether it's the coconut almond or cookies and cream, maybe a caramel brownie, my personal favorite, the mint brownie, Built Bars have something for you. And the best part about them, not only do they taste great, but they fit your macros. They're protein-packed, low in sugar. So you're not going to blow up your macros having a midday snack or a post-workout bar. Instead, you're going to stick right in it and be able to have that summer bod that you're working on right now. So check them out for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You're going to get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're going to wrap up today's show as we always do on Tuesdays. Well, Tuesdays as we record, maybe Wednesdays as you listen the day before we record our crossover episode with the Locked On Bengals mailbag. We have a few questions to get to today, James. The first comes from Andrew Goddard on Twitter, at A underscore Goddard. He asks, if Joe Burrow were a type of Halloween candy, what type of Halloween candy would he be? He'd be warheads, Jake. Warheads. Warheads are amazing. I, I Probably my favorite candy out there because you, you get a pack of them, and they're rare. They're hard to get now, but growing up, I'd get a pack of them, and then I'd eat like 30 of them, and my mouth would be sore. Yes, uh, warheads. A black cherry, lemon, ooh, the, the raspberry, the blue raspberry. Woo-hoo-hoo! Man, my mouth is is watering just talking about him. I was thinking about what he would be, and it is that because he's he's given this fan base a jolt, and hopefully the Bengals organization a jolt in the right direction. And all these struggles we're watching are uh, just something of the past a few years from now. See, but the metaphor kind of breaks because not everyone likes warheads. For some people, warheads are too much, and everyone in Cincinnati likes Joe Burrow. You know? Hey, I love warheads. Warheads yeah. are, I, so so. What what Halloween candy would it be for me? Warheads, baby. I mean, seriously, I I need to get some warheads now. They're they are hard to get. Can you get them in Canada? I I, I haven't looked, although I did see some people talking about there's a warheads beer. It, it I makes saw your, that. Yeah. I want go. that. I actually, I think that was Louis from Locked On Eagles. Yeah. And I, uh, I DM'd him about it. <laughs> Not even kidding. <laughs> there you go. James has a deep love for Warheads. For me, the best Halloween candy is unit, like not unanimously. That's not the right word because it's just my opinion. But it's just not even close. And it's Reese's Cups. The oh. the peanut butter and chocolate combination is unbeatable. It's classic, and it's delicious. And so Joe Burrow is a Reese's Cup. Come on now. Come on now. He's a Reese's Cup. I, I'm not going to debate you. I mean, you didn't really debate me. I guess you pushed back a little, but 
I like Reese's. So that's your favorite candy? I really like the combination of peanut butter and chocolate when it comes to candy, yes. Okay. What thing, Things I would rank ahead of Reese's, because they are good. I think I like Twix over Reese's. I like, I would say Snickers, probably. That's close, though. Maybe a Butterfinger. And obviously, I'm just ranking chocolate here because I go with sour stuff, obviously, with the, the Warheads. But uh, those are probably the three, and I might be forgetting one. Do you like any of those that I just mentioned? Not more than Reese's. And I, I don't even really particularly even like Butterfinger anymore. I did a lot more when I was a kid. Oh, oh so now it's a kid candy. No, it's a kid candy. All right. Don't put words in my mouth, James. But what's All our next right. question? Warrior on Twitter. Warrior Nate, in fact asks guys are the players bailing out the coaches with good play bro and the receivers are doing great but the coverage seems so tight players never seem that open when watching other games players seem to have much more separation keep up the good work so i don't think that this is entirely true i don't think that there's a really good understanding of necessarily what it is that the Bengals are trying to do. And I'm going to focus on the offense for this because on the defensive side of the ball, I do think that there are some, some situations where I find myself wondering, you know, end of game against Cleveland, for example, why are we going cover one? Why are we going cover one press on two straight plays, especially when Cleveland's already in field goal range? Like what are, what are we trying to do? with one deep safety press coverage outside when if, if one of those corners loses their press man matchup and you've got LaShawn Sims out there on one side, he didn't get beat or didn't get targeted anyway. And Darius Phillips on the other side and you have no safety help on the sideline for them. You're, you're playing sideline open and, and the Browns want to go sideline. You're trying to take away the middle of the field when the Browns have no timeouts. So in some of those plays, I wonder about the defensive designer, at least the defensive play calling in some cases. And on the other side of the coin, I think the offensive play calling has gotten a lot better as the season's gone on. I think that they've really found some wrinkles in the running game that have suited their personnel. So instead of running a straight up zone play, for example, against the Browns, they ran a play where the left side of the line block zone and the right side of the line blocked essentially man with Bobby Hart pulling inside, going around uh, Alex Redmond uh, at right guard and coming up through the A-gap to get a linebacker at the second level, and the carry goes and, and is read off of Bobby Hart's block. So they ran that play successfully against the Browns, I think, three or four times, and it looked really, really good. That's an example of them using personnel to their strengths. So they ask their guards who are their bigger, stronger players to make some down blocks essentially, or some seal off blocks. And they ask their tackles who are smaller, a little bit more athletic to get out in space. And it doesn't ask them to contain the backside of the run as, as necessarily as, as difficult there's no, that's not an option in this, in this version of the zone play. You're not reading the backside. It's, it's taking away part of the read for the running back. And it's, it's maybe reducing the options a little bit, but it's simplifying and, and getting the tackles to play to their strengths. I think the other thing that we're seeing is the offense evolving in some of the passing concepts. We saw a lot more yards after catch stuff, especially last week against the Browns in the last couple of weeks, though. We're seeing the screen game finally start to come together after a couple of years, really a year and a half. They're finally getting the screen game together. And the deep shots, are the, the uh, quarterback and the receivers are getting on the same page with, with both deep shot back shoulder stuff 
with uh, finding the holes in zone and, and reading zone coverage is the same way so that, you know, balls coming out with more anticipation for Joe Burrow and the receivers are expecting it. We're seeing that with more frequency. And so I do think that the offense is starting or at least for a few weeks has been playing pretty well and I think has been coached pretty well. And I, I do have questions on the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, the offense outside of a couple turnovers has been great the past two weeks. They've done enough. Now, the second half of that Colts game, I was really critical of Zach Taylor because I thought that, that they should have been a little more aggressive and, and really tried to push it. But you, you look at each individual series and you kind of see where it went wrong. So it's hard to complain about the offense right now. AJ's gotten going. They have a three-headed monster at receiver. And I think they've went through their growing pain stage where it was a new a new system for green it was a, a new quarterback it, it was no otas no mini camps no preseason look they downplayed it that shit matters jake it, it just does and we downplayed it to a degree we thought oh you know expected hell i picked them to win week one but it matters and you're seeing that and, and so hopefully this is the offense that continues to blossom because they're going to get tested this week against tennessee and then particularly a couple weeks from now, because I think they will be able to score against Tennessee a couple of weeks from now against Pittsburgh. We're all uh, kind of sweating already thinking about that Steelers defense going after Joe Burrow. So hopefully they can continue to gel and continue to push forward. Last question for today's episode is a quick one. James Goth Hooters enthusiast at Trev Wilson on Twitter. Will Hakeem Adenergy get the start at right tackle? How did he look in his limited snaps on Sunday? I think he's going to play left tackle, and that's something that Jim Turner talked about probably a month ago when we had him on a conference call, and we did see that at the end of the game. He only got, what, three snaps or whatever it was, uh, four snaps when Bobby Hart went down. And uh, so, you know, we'll see, right? We'll, we'll see how he plays. Uh, here's what I do know, because I'm not going to judge him based on the four snaps. Here's what I do know is Jim Turner has spoken extremely high on him. This coaching staff really likes him. They thought he was a tackle from day one. Brian Callahan and Turner both said so on draft day. So, look, now he gets a shot. And this could be a blessing in disguise if you can uncover a hidden gem here. But he is a sixth-round pick. So temper your expectations. I would expect the Bengals to give him some help. And uh, I would expect to see him at left tackle this Sunday against the Titans. I'm excited to see how he plays, especially if Jadavion Clowney isn't out there and he doesn't get baptized by fire a little bit. I mean, Harold Landry's still a good player, but not necessarily the scariest pass rush over in Tennessee coming to Cincinnati this week. And we'll dive into that matchup a little bit more starting tomorrow as we have the crossover episode coming up and then our game preview for the rest of the week because, boy, do these weeks fly in the regular season. That's going to do it for today's episode, though. Until next time, Bengals fans, a who day, and have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team 
every day.